It's so good to be in God's house today, amen. amen. I invite you to open your Bible today, those at home that are watching and also those here in the room today, if you'll open your Bible and find the book of Ephesians. And we're continuing our series on the church, and today we want to think about the function and ministries of the church and what the church is to be doing. And so if you look with me to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to read today in chapter number one. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope you do. Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ at Ephesus. He's writing to a church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Isn't it amazing? For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Mark how many times he says that. That he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, will according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as he planned for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. 
And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Amen. Father in heaven, today as we read this glorious passage, we're reminded of your amazing grace you poured out on us. And Father, your work of redemption that you've carried out in us. And Lord, how it all works to the praise of your glory. And we're humbled by your great kindness and mercy and grace. Now, Lord, as we study your word together, we invite you to do business in our hearts and our lives. Convince us of the truth convict us about our own lives and our own walk. Father, lead us to surrender more fully and completely to your will. And Father, encourage us as we live this life to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, as I think about the functions and purpose of the church, I want to look at several passages of Scripture today. What is the purpose of the church? What is it that we are to do? What is the priority of our activity and the investment of our spiritual energy? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Sometimes I don't do what I was intended to do. Some things that have a purpose aren't used for the purpose for which they were brought into this world. In my house, sitting in the corner, is an exercise bike in my home. You know what it was designed for? To be ridden. But instead, it's a place for me to hang my hat, hang my clothes... It might be a conversation piece like, Tim, why do we have this in our house if you're not going to use it? It's not meant for room decor. It was made to be ridden. What is the purpose of the church? What is God's purpose for our lives? Number one, if you're taking notes today, the first thing is that we are made to glorify God. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says... What is the chief end of man? And the answer to that is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As we're teaching our children, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. One of the church reformers said, now... Eternal, immortal life can be found nowhere except God. It follows then that the main care and concern of our life should be to seek God. We should long for him with all the affections of our life, with our hearts, and not find rest and peace anywhere except in him alone. It's the passionate pursuit of Christ and the glory of God. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God 
and worship him. Take your oaths in his name. We are to worship him alone. Our God is a jealous God. He made us to live for his glory. This is the problem in a lost and pagan world. They don't seek the glory of God or to honor God or to obey God in their life. Paul is writing about this and warning us as he does so, helping us to understand that the wrath of God is poured out against all unrighteousness. And he describes in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, listen to what he says. For though they knew God, the pagan world, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. He says they knew God, but they didn't glorify God. And the result was that their thinking became worthless and senseless, and their hearts were darkened. And they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images, birds and reptiles and other things they created. And God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts. They gave themselves to wantonness and sexual immorality and purity. And they exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped what was created instead of the creator who is to be praised forever and ever. You were made to glorify God. And the first purpose of the church is to praise and glorify Almighty God. Amen? God is to be praised in worship. If we're saved, it is to the glory of God. In Romans chapter number 5, verse number 10, do you have your Bible? Look with me to just over a few pages to Romans chapter number 5. And verse number 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. When we gather together as a church, it's to boast in God, it's to praise his name, it's to acknowledge that he is God and not we ourselves. And he, he is the ruler and king of our life. Amen. We should all be. All, should, uh, all of us should be praising the Lord at the top of our voice with passion and unity and gladness, for he has saved us. Amen. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. How did he make you glad? He saved you, man. You were lost. You were blind and stupid. You were on your way to hell, and God saved you. Isn't that glorious? Man, our worship should be filled. Worship and praise of God isn't something that has to be worked up. It should be the overflow of your life. Romans 11. In verse number 32. Listen to Paul's argument about God's redemptive work of salvation. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience that he may have mercy on all. All of us, Jews and Gentiles alike, God has saved us, not because of any goodness or any works or any deserving on our part. It was his glorious work of grace in us. Can somebody say amen? 
Now listen to how Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This work of grace is his work in us. And of all the people that live on the face of the earth, we ought to be the ones praising God with all of our hearts and voices. That's why Paul sews on right from that verse to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Amen. Surrender of all of your life to him. As a gift to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are to be a people to give praise and glory to God. Tell your neighbor, we're supposed to give glory to God. Yeah, it should be natural in the overflow of your life. Now, we gather today to worship the Lord. Amen? We've come to worship him. In the book of Colossians, chapter number three, Colossians chapter number three, Notice in verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. The word of Christ, the gospel. Now listen. In all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. How? Through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing to whom? To God. How? With gratitude in your hearts, thanksgiving. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. First point today is we gather, when we gather as a church, we gather to praise the Lord. We are to praise him. We didn't come to church today to complain. We didn't come to the church to campaign. We didn't come to church just to see our friends. We came to sing to God. We came to sing to one another. We came to sing with thanksgiving. We came to lavish our praise on him. And if you came today with another purpose or another attitude, may God's spirit convict you today and you repent because you were made and been born again to praise God Amen. with all of your heart and soul and strength. Yes, Lord. You say, well, I, I, I don't just feel like it today. I don't care what you feel like it. Get over yourself and praise God. Well, I, I don't like the song they say. It's, when did it become about you? 
It's about him. First church I ever pastored. I was a college student. I've told me, those who've been here for a long time know I just repeat my stories all the time. So I'm just going to tell. And it was the worst. There, it was just they're mostly true. Now listen, there was no, it was the worst music in the world. I think. It was terrible. And we didn't even have a piano player half the time. And there was only a handful of us there. And one gal was not very faithful in coming. There was an old, or really older woman, and she could hardly play at all. And her husband nearly blind, and her husband was a former pastor, and she would sometimes play, and it was you could hardly recognize the tune. But you know what? I was just a young man, 21 years old, and I said, you know what? I don't care who's here. I'm going to praise him with all of God. And we just started singing to the glory of God. God was honored. And people started being saved and baptized. And we were praising God. And the Holy Spirit was there. He was working among us. We gathered to not only praise the Lord, but we had gathered to serve the Lord. In Acts chapter 13, verse number 2, it says the church in Antioch was ministering unto the Lord. And what does that mean? It means they were worshiping the Lord. They were serving the Lord. And that's what we do. When we praise, we are ministering unto the Lord. When you gather for worship and to sing, it's not for you. When you gather to sing, yes, it brings benefit to you. Yes, it brings encouragement to your brothers and sisters. But you are ministering unto the Lord. You're singing to him. He is the audience. And we've come to pray and to bless and to praise and to love and to adore and to remember Christ. And, and it says they were remembering and they were fasting. And there was an urgency and an expectation as they worshiped and praised. And they were ministering unto the Lord. God, may that be the way of our church. That it's not about a performance and it's not about a preference and it's not about our schedule. It's not about us, but it's all about him. And we focus on him and we adore him and we lavish our love on him and we bless him and we thank him and we bless him. We're ministering unto the Lord. We're speaking about him and his goodness and his kindness and his blessedness. And there's no one like him on the face of the earth. He's king. He's sovereign. He's almighty. He's the Lord. He's so to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's judge of all the earth. He's faithful and true and omniscient and omnipotent. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the hope that only we have. We've come to worship him. He's our comfort. He's our strength. He's my king and he's my friend. He is my lord and master. I've come to worship him today. He's savior and good and great and kind. And he's all that's loving and all that's beautiful. That's my king, and I've come to worship him. He's all that's wise and holy. He's all that's gracious and good. He alone has the words of life, and he is my deliverer. And he's my coming king, and I've come to worship him. That's why we've gathered today. Did you remember that? had a fit, but it was a holy fit. 
we gather to remember him. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering him. Do this in remembrance of me. His death. His sacrifice. His love. His promise. His hope. We will praise him. I will lift up my hands with thanksgiving in my heart. I will lift up my voice in praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. When you came to church this morning, were you filled with gladness? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Who stole your gladness? Who stole your gladness? Who quenched your fire? Who turned your joy into grumpiness? Not the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. When you walk in the Lord, you can't help but praise Him. The second point is we exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, It's necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus said, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. And we are sent with the greatest gospel in all the world. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verse 18 says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, how? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Listen to what the scripture says. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Now listen to what it says. And I say to you, you are Peter. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And then he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. He's given us the gospel to go and preach in all of the world. And when we do, we have the keys of the kingdom. As we're proclaiming the gospel, the Spirit of God works in people's hearts. And hearts are opened and they come into salvation. But some hearts are closed because they reject the gospel. But we're to preach it. We don't know who's going to be saved and not saved. But the church goes to everyone who will listen. And we tell them about Jesus Christ. This is the ministry God has called to us. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, Jesus, after the resurrection, says, as he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, he says, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And in repentance of forget- and for-, for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name. To whom? To all the nations, all people groups, beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. 
And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Both from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. What are we to proclaim? We are to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are to proclaim the good news. And the good news is that there's bad news. And we are created by Almighty God. You're not, you're not here by an accident. And we have all fallen and messed up. And the first man and woman sinned against Holy God and brought disaster and disease, disease and, and discomfort and war and hate and all of the brokenness of this world and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the, and the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord the world is fallen and confused and sinful and selfish and hateful and lustful and this world is messed up and lost but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Jesus Christ, God's son, lived a perfect life and he died. He died the death that you deserve on a cross. He was loving you with an eternal love and he was dead, died and died your death and was buried and he took on your burial and Jesus Christ rose again from the grave triumphantly, winning victory over sin and death and giving us the hope of resurrection. This is what we preach in a world that's lost. Salvation is found in him, and there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. We repent and trust in him because in him only can we find forgiveness and cleansing and hope and life, and whosoever will let him come. That's what we preach. Amen. To whom do we preach? To all the nations. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. We're to preach Jesus Christ, in him crucified to all. In Acts 17, verse 30, Acts chapter 17, listen to Paul as he's preaching. In verse number 30, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, all people everywhere to repent, because he set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, and he's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There's no other man like Jesus. And there's no other hope. Because only one man lived a perfect life. And only one man defeated death and rose again. And that is Jesus Christ. How are we to proclaim him? In 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Listen to what the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, in verse number 16. 
For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled. And woe to me if I do not proclaim, preach the gospel. Verse 19. Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, that I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. There's an urgency, a passion, a, by all means, removing all barriers share the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel? Our church, listen, I'll tell you one, the biggest cure for most churches is this. They start praising God and they start witnessing the people and praying for lost people and watch how God changes that church. Amen? I'm reminded about when I first came to Bethel as pastor. Now that was a long time ago. Some of y'all been around for a long time with me. <laughs> I heard that. As a matter of fact, Sandy and Chuck, something very interesting. The church when I first came was divided. And the church was divided over several issues. They're divided over the pastor, divided over leadership. And they were really divided over whether or not to relocate to another piece of property. And as a matter of fact, we couldn't get any agreement about that. And there was all kinds of bickering. I said, let's put all that stuff aside and let's focus on what we're going to do right here and let's love God and let's love each other and let's repent of our sin and let's start witnessing to other people and praying for people to be saved. And all of a sudden the church began to do it and we began to change. We had a little business session. We voted to get rid of the property and Chuck, your dad bought the property and he said, I'm going to build a house on it. And Chuck Major lives there now and so, and Cindy. And so they, I tell you, and so that was off the table. So we're not going to relocate, right? And so now we're going to try to do what God's called us to do right here. And we started growing and building and we had to buy houses around it. We ran out of space. And then we got so out of space that we said, we need to relocate. I thought, oh no, here we go. But what happened? It was completely unity as we moved out here because now it wasn't about our preferences. It was about the will of God. This is what we need to recover. A passion for the lost and a passion for the glory of God. Yes. Number three, are we called to baptize believers? In Matthew 28, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You go, therefore, and make disciples, followers, and then mark those followers by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, who should be baptized? I'm glad you asked. Those who've been born again. 
Those who've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Those who are believers. Baptism is for believers. And so the early church practiced believers' baptism. Not baptism because the church just told you so. Not because we didn't just baptize babies. We baptize believers. And this is the, why the, what the Bible teaches us to do. Who should be baptized? Those who believe. What's involved in believing? First of all, knowledge is involved in believing. Who is Christ? What has he done? What can he do? Knowledge. Second thing that is needed is conviction. That means believing what we've heard is true. That is, his salvation is the answer to the great need and the miserable condition that I'm in, in my sinfulness and my lostfulness. And I have a conviction that he is the answer to my need, the deepest longing of my heart. But faith is more than that. It's trust and reliance in a personal relationship. Not just believing the facts about Christ, but putting my faith in Christ as my Savior and Lord. And when that happens, you become his child. And you should be baptized. Now, when should I be baptized? As soon as you believe. In the book of Acts, chapter number 2, we notice that the preaching of the early church, how Peter preaches. And he comes... To the end of his message as he's preaching to the people there. And they heard the message and they were pierced in their heart. And said, brothers, what shall we do? Now listen. Peter replied, repent. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Repent from his sin. And be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Preach, teach, baptize. In Acts chapter 22, an interesting story, Saul of Tarsus is converted and when he shares his testimony about what happens to him when he's struck down and he sees the Lord and he hears the voice of the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he says, I want you to go into the city and there it be told you what to do. And, and so he goes into the city and God then prepares a servant, Ananias, to go to him. And when he goes to him, he says to Saul, what are you, why are you delaying? Why are you delaying? Get up. Be baptized. Washing away your sins. Calling on his name. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why are you delaying being baptized? Get up. Be baptized. Call on his name. When Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian, he preaches to him from the book of Isaiah, and he's preaching to him about the Lord Jesus. And they come to a pool of water, and the Ethiopian looks at Paul, and he says, what prevents me? 
What hinders me from being baptized? He says, nothing if you believe. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They both went down in the water, and he baptized him that very moment. He didn't make him go through a class. He baptized him. When you get saved, get baptized. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Now, how should we be baptized? The word baptized means, it's from the Greek word baptizo. It means to immerse, to dip, to plunge under the water. Immersion was the New Testament practice of baptism. In water, by baptism. Now, why should you be baptized? Number one, Christ commanded it. If you're going to follow Jesus, obey his commandments. Secondly, Christ exemplified it. Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God, went to John the Baptist, out, who was baptizing in the Jordan, in the Judean wilderness, and he came to him and he said, I want to be baptized. And John the Baptist understood because he knew that Jesus was greater than him. And John the Baptist looked at him and says, and you, you come to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, allow it to be so because this is fulfilling all righteousness. And so then John baptized him. When he baptized him, he came up out of the water. The spirit descended like a dove upon him. And a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet there's some of us in a stubborn pride say, I refuse to be baptized. You need to be baptized because it reminds you of who you are. But listen to me. Disobedience calls into question your relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no example in all of the New Testament of a believer unwilling to be baptized. Did you hear that? There is no example in all of the New Testament of a believer unwilling to be baptized. Amen. And a refusal to be baptized calls into question a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Number four, we're to teach obedience to Christ. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're to teach people how to follow Jesus. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? So one of the things that the early church does, and we are to do, is to nurture brand new believers in the faith and teach them to walk like Jesus, live like Jesus. And you say to me, Brother Tim, how do we do that? Well, this is the way Paul did it. Paul said, you want to know how to live the Christian life? This is what I say. You watch how I live. And you live like that. You watch how I talk, and you talk like that. You watch what I value, and you value like that. You watch what I read, and you read what I read. You watch how I love, and, you watch, and then you love like I love. Because I've hitched my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm following him. And you can follow me, 
because I'm following him. And you say, Brother Tim, that seems arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. Because how do you live the Christian life? You need somebody with flesh and blood to help you do it. And that's why we make disciples who make disciples. I'll tell you one thing it does for you. It has a rude awakening in your own life when you look at your children and they say, Dad, how I live a Christian life. And you say to your children, watch how Daddy walks. Watch how Daddy lives. Watch how Daddy talks. Watch how Papa talks. And you live like I live. And that brings an humbleness. And it brings a sense, a seriousness to this Christian faith. Amen. Because we're not just playing a game. Yes, Lord. We're living a life. Thank you, Lord. Secondly, we need to love God and love people. Amen. One of the things we got to do is nurture people how to love each other. Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, all of our strength. Love him supremely. And the second commandment is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. One thing that impeaches the gospel is when believers don't love each other Amen. and don't forgive each other yes, Lord. and hold grudges against each other and gossip about one yes, another. Lord. The church of Jesus Christ is to be encouraging one another. Amen. And then sacrificially give of our lives. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, Even, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You don't exist to be served, but to serve and to give your life. And when you lose your life, you'll find life. That's a principle that's true. But here's what's immaturity. Immaturity thinks that I exist so that I might be served. I see immaturity all the time. <laughs> when you got 10 little grandkids, you got a lot of immaturity in your house. Just yesterday, we we're having a little gathering to celebrate Brad's birthday, and some of the little girls got in a fight with each other. I've noticed something. Little girls fight a whole lot like older girls fight. And so, uh, and it's, it's, it's in us, isn't it? And so, one of the little girls, Evie, I think was the culprit, maybe, she stole a trinket. It was a trinket from McDonald's in, you know, a Happy Meal. And she had it in her hand. And Joey comes in with crocodile tears, matter and thunder, that Evie has her trinket. Well, we finally decided that the world was nearly coming to an end. It was a valueless trinket, but it became a major issue. My toy, my toy, she said. 
crying, angry, screaming, throwing a fit. E.B., is that yours? Mine. Take it from her. Now this one throws a fit. What is that? Well, it's immaturity. I see immaturity, too much of it in church. That we fight over trinkets and things that are not important. And we carry on, fight, and weep, and throw fits because we don't get our way. How's that bringing glory to God? We're to follow Him. Jesus said, If any man wants to come after me, follow me. He must deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow after me. This is the life. The life is found in not being served, but serving. And the life is found in taking up a cross and dying to self and living your life redemptively for others. And this is where life is found. Do you sense the Holy Spirit working today? You sense, isn't he at work? Can't you feel it? Because I'm speaking truth today about Christ and his church. And if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow me. The praise team's coming to lead us in just a moment. But I'm going to quote an old hymn, which I'm prone to do. I want you to listen close to this. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of life if the way of the cross I miss. Because the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime, where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell, farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. For the Lord says, come, and I seek my home where he waits at the open door for the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. That's how we're to live this Christian life, by the way of the cross. Thank you, Father, for your word. It's true. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It has strength to it, hope to it, life in it. Now, Father, have your way in the service. 
there's one soul here tonight, one person who's never trusted Christ, I pray that today they repent of sin and turn to God and be saved today. And there's a person here today who's never been baptized, I pray that today they would publicly confess their faith in Jesus and commit their life to be baptized and be a follower of him. Father, have your way. There's one person here that realizes they've been living in immaturity. I pray that they repent and come home to praise and glorify God and live the way of the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.